We proceed with the vital question of interest to every one of us. What do we know about limitations imposed upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy from the Bible? And we were affirming that time imposes a limitation upon the exercise of God's loving kindness and mercy toward men, or that there are times of climactic approach on the part of God, times when our hearts and minds are peculiarly enlightened, when we feel the power of conviction resting upon us in a particular way. Now our Lord Jesus taught that there were special opportunities to be saved, granted unto men. In the first chapter of Luke, verses 76 to 79, we read that the advent of our Lord Jesus Christ was in itself a period of special opportunity and enlightenment. And thou, child, shalt be called the prophet of the highest, speaking of the Lord Jesus. For thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high had visited us, to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So here was a special opportunity, a special manifestation of the grace and kindness and mercy of God. In the third chapter of John's Gospel, verses 19 and 20, we read concerning the moral light that our Lord Jesus shone forth throughout the whole world. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But time is an important feature in our spiritual enlightenment. And so our Lord Jesus described his reference to the enlightenment of truth in the 12th chapter of John, verses 35 to 36, that men would have to respond when they saw the light, otherwise there was no hope for them. Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus, and departed, and did hide himself from them. So when the manifestation of God's Holy Spirit is upon us to grant us particular illumination, that is the time we must respond. Otherwise, we may never see it with such a force again. In the 13th chapter of Matthew, verses 18 and 19, we read concerning the seed of truth that could not lie around unused by unresponsive hearts, or it would most certainly be lost. Our Lord Jesus had been speaking about the parable of the sower as to how he threw the seed upon the various conditions of earth and that some seed was received and bore fruit, whereas other seed was not received. And so we read in verse 18, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. 
This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Now the reason they did not understand, as was given in the previous verses, to be their own voluntary refusal to allow the light of God's truth to affect their mind. And so they diverted their attention and refused to consider the truth of God. So when the opportunities of God's illumination and enlightenment are upon us, we must take great heed that we do not reject them, for these movements of the Spirit may never return. Therefore time is a vital element in the manifestation of God's mercy to us. In the sixth chapter of John, verse 44, we read that apart from the drawing and enlightening power of God, no one ever would be saved. So dependent are we upon God's visitations of mercy. No man can come to me, Jesus said, except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, of course, the fact is that when men repent of sin, God gives to them that inner enlightenment of the cross of Christ to enable them to lay hold of the work of Christ by faith as an actual consciousness in their thinking. But let us remember this, that when the inducements and opportunities of mercy are presented to us in a particular way, that is the time when we must repent and seek the Lord, and then we shall receive this wonderful drawing and illuminating power. But the opportunities of salvation are not always the same. Here was Jerusalem, for example, that did not respond to the tender tears of the Son of God, and so judgment had to be pronounced. No more would this glorious opportunity of salvation be presented, as it was here when the Lord Jesus went into the city in his so-called triumphal entry and presented himself to them. Here in the 19th chapter of Luke, verses 41 to 44, we read this reaction to this wonderful procession when the Lord Jesus was riding into this city and his followers were rejoicing and praising God for his great person. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong to thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. In other words, they rejected the Lord Jesus, and therefore God was not casting his holy pearls of the vision of truth before those who, who disregarded him. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, and shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another. Why not? Because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. So the Holy Spirit visits each one of us with profound truth at specific times, and we must take great care that we do not reject the marvelous heavenly visitation because it may never be so inviting again to turn from our sins. It is not that we're not able to turn from our sins,
but it is that we are unwilling to turn from our sins apart from the loving persuasion of God. In the 15th chapter of Matthew, verses 13 and 14, we read that the religious leaders had so rejected and offended our Lord that he pronounced them the blind leaders of the blind and left them to their rebellious folly. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father hath not planted shall be rooted up. Let them alone. They be blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind lead the blind, both shall fall into the ditch. Here were individuals who had rejected the light that the Lord Jesus had given them. And now the Lord's words were, Let them alone. No more would they have the appeals of the tender Savior to reveal the truth of God to their inner heart and their inner consciousness. They were indeed blind to spiritual things and would remain in this state of blindness because they refused the opportunity of God's wonderful visitation. In the 15th chapter of John, verses 21 to 24, we read concerning the increased responsibility and guilt that moral light brings to us. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not sinned. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. So the operations of the Lord Jesus in enlightening men and making them more vividly conscious of God's truth removed every particle of doubt as to the increased guilt of those who rejected the glorious enlightenment. And now they had no excuse, no cloak whatsoever. So our gracious Lord will enlighten the hearts of men so that they may understand the ways of truth. And it is their response to the ways of truth that shall determine God's future course with them. In the 14th chapter of Luke and verses 21 and 24, we read uh, the account of a parable that our Lord Jesus set forth concerning a wedding feast that was made and concerning invitations that were extended to many in various walks of life to attend. And so we read in verse 21 of the unhappy reaction that the servants had. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in hither the poor and the maimed, and the halt and the blind. In the account of the parable, we have various excuses which were offered as to why the invitation to the supper was not accepted. And so this greatly angered the master in the instance. And certainly it is indicative of God's righteous indignation toward us when we reject his offered love at these great opportunities of conviction when we see the truth of God 
with great clarity. And in verse 24, For I say unto you, that none of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. This indicates that there would not be the repetition of this tender appeal that they should come to the supper. And so if we reject the grace of God when the Spirit of God is operating upon us, we may never see the return of that equal movement toward the ways of God and that equal inducement to repent. In the first chapter of John, verse 11, we read this sad verse. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Let us remember that God owns man and has exposed his great love only to be further rejected. How unspeakably pathetic is it that the great God should be treated as he has been. In the sixth chapter of Micah, verse 3, we read concerning the great humiliation that God has been put to in appealing to men to turn to him. O my people, what have I done unto thee, and wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank thee that thou in thy greatness has been willing to humble thyself to appeal unto man. Oh, how we pray that many may respond by repenting of all sin, coming to Jesus Christ, and by faith be forgiven and reconciled to thee both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.